All right, good evening and welcome to KLGX LP Flagstaff here. Uh, we This is the Wednesday edition of the Double Double. I'm your host, Noah Dakin, joined by my awesome co-host, as always, Gabriel Dixon. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, you know, I'm always good. Good to be back. Yeah, it's always fun doing our radio shows. Unfortunately, we are online this weekend. No in-booth special stuff, but, you know, it's all it's always good to still get it out there. And we are joined by Casey this evening. How are you doing tonight, Casey? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm sorry it didn't work out in the booth this week. Uh, we've been having some technical problems for the last week and a half. So hopefully it'll be fixed by next week, but we'll just have to wait and see. But I'm glad to be back on your guys' show. It's always fun. So, yeah. All right. And you know what? Let's start it off pretty strong. We'll just hop right into some basketball conversation. So obviously there's been a lot of young talent that's come into the league recently that a lot of people consider very good. Uh, I mean, we even just saw Moses Moody start getting going for the Warriors the other night. It's always nice to see. But I think there's probably a clear uh, shot as to who is going to be winning Rookie of the Year. I mean, maybe, maybe not. Uh, Kay Cunningham. I mean, he's been having a fantastic season for the, the Detroit Pistons. I mean, obviously the team hasn't – hasn't had a huge jump in wins. They're they're still pretty far down there on the rankings. But just starting with you, Casey, do you think Cade has a, a real chance to to get that Rookie of the Year award? I think he does have a good chance. But here's the thing that I've always seen with Cade. Every game I've watched, it would be like, he would drop 30 points in one game or 20 points in one game, and then he would drop five to six in the next game. So it comes in being a rookie where you have to start to be consistent and just be overall consistent in your game. And I think he'll be able to do that. If he wins rookie of the year this year, it'll be because he learns how to be more consistent, but there's a bunch of guys that can win rookie of the years. You have Franz Wagner on the magic. You have Evan Mobley, who's been killing it on the Cavs. I mean, even Josh Giddy's almost averaging a triple double as a rookie. So there's a, there's a lot of rookies this year who are very interesting and really fantastic to watch. And Cade Cunningham, if he can just be more consistent, I think he can have it. But we'll just have to see if he can do that throughout the rest of the season. Right. And consistency is always shown to be one of those staples for a good player uh, in the NBA. Obviously, we see some of the biggest names uh, like LeBron and all that keep going through all these years. And that's because they've stayed consistent. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely something Cade needs to work on. I think he's going in the right direction. Uh, he's got a lot of, you know, he can do a lot of things on the offensive side of the ball. It's not always scoring. So, but yeah, I think there's definitely no clear cut guy that's going to win this year and definitely makes the race a lot more interesting. But how about you, Gabe? Does Cade have a chance at winning this rookie of the year? Oh, he definitely does, man. Cade, he's number one overall pick. Loved him in Oklahoma and he's doing it pretty good um, in the NBA level. He just had his second triple double. Um, I think he's been playing better, too, um, in the last month or two. So if he can continue this stretch, then I'd say that he can definitely propel himself into a nice position to secure that that award. But I would say currently I'm going with Evan Mobley, the seven-footer in Cleveland. <clears throat> this guy, I mean, he's a bad dude, man. Averaging, I think, 15, 8, and 2.5 and assists, 1.7 blocks a game. He really is – he's a key part of that defense, and he's a spark plug for that offense on that Cleveland team. And then <clears throat> there's a lot of other guys in the conversation, too, that could easily put their names up there as well. I think Scotty Barnes um, is a guy that I was looking at, too, but then he he just went down with an injury, so we'll see 
um, how that affects him. Um, and then you have other guys, like you mentioned, Fraz Wagner. And then I like Josh Giddy a lot, too, out of Oklahoma. I don't think he's going to win the award, but he's getting close to averaging um, even a double-double, close to even a triple-double, averaging 11, 7, and 6. Um, that's not, like, really close, but... For someone that's a rookie, I think that's those are pretty impressive stats. And alongside with SGA in Oklahoma, I think those guys are are pretty. Um, they're not winning a lot of games right now, but you can tell that there's young talent there, and they're fun to watch. So, but at this point yeah, in time, I would say Cade Cunningham is 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 right behind Evan Mobley. Yeah, and obviously they've got a lot of room to grow. So I was actually going to go to you first, Casey, or after Gabe, but. I'll just go go on here. Uh, I was going to say, who do we think has a better shot over Cade Cunningham, Cunningham at the Rookie of the Year award? So, obviously, Gabe, you're going with Evan Mobley. And I'm going to go with Josh Giddy, like you were saying. I think he definitely puts up the stats. I think he shows consistent improvement uh, on both ends of the ball. Uh, I, I've always thought his passing has been really fantastic. He's a great inbounder. And he, he definitely does his job. I mean, he's fitting into that team really well. He kind of, it's almost like a stat pad, but I mean, he's just kind of filling in the cracks for what his other players on his team can't, you know, that can't complete. So going to you, Casey, who do you think, or who's kind of ranked higher than Kay Cunningham, if there is someone ranked higher uh, for that Rookie of the Year award? Um, yeah, so if Scotty Barnes didn't get hurt, I mean, he was having a fantastic seasons season over there in Toronto. Um, but since he's gone down and we don't know when he's coming back quite yet, um, I think it could go to Cade, but I'm going to go with Evan Mobley just because he's on a winning team right now. And that, that team was not supposed to be where they are right now. The Cavs team, I mean, Ricky Rubio got hurt. Um, Colin Sexton's hurt. Darius Garland's been a key component to that team. Jared Allen, Laurie Markkinen's even been like that team shouldn't be in the top eight of the Eastern conference, but they are. So I think being on a winning atmosphere team and leading, if they can make the playoffs, I think Evan Mobley has a really good shot at winning rookie of the year this year. Right. Yeah. Evan Mobley, uh, he's definitely catapulted that Cavaliers team. I mean, like you said, I don't think anyone was coming into this season saying, Oh man, the Cavs are going to be really good. They're going to have above 500 win record. They're, they're going to be looking good for a playoff spot. You know, nobody said that. I so, personally was saying that. I don't want to. Oh, you were saying that. Okay. <laughs> wow. Remember, remember we were talking about that last segment? And I, I was do. not, I'm not, I'm not joshing, man. I was saying that before the season. I thought they were going to be, I thought they were going to be a playoff team. I didn't think they were going to be this good though. I thought they were going to be like eight seed, seven seed. I did not think that they were going to be like a top four seed. Basically, I think they're the fifth seed right now or the fourth seed. They're the fourth seed right now, 31 and 20, which I did not see coming. <laughs> 11 games over 500. No one saw that coming. Yeah. Hey, you did, Gabe, so that works. <laughs> but, yeah, and I think that's going to be the main detriment for Cade Cunningham in the end uh, when it comes down to winning that Rookie of the Year. I mean, he, he does perform very well sometimes. I mean, he goes to triple doubles even a lot. Um, you know, 20, 25-point triple doubles, sometimes he gets close to that. But the team is just not where it should be. If I mean, if – he was really making that much of a difference. They would probably be probably be a little better ranked, uh, a little a bit higher up on that leaderboard, but they're not. So I think that's probably what's going to ha happen with Cade and why he's going to fall short on that uh, award race. But going over to our next topic, talking about winning, I mean, like the Cavaliers have been doing, uh, 
because I mean, you know, they've got a couple of big men that do the job and I mean, the 76ers and the Nuggets got a couple of big men that do a really good job. And I believe both of them were named player of the month last season or this last month. I mean, Joel Embiid averaging 34 points. What was it? 11 rebounds, three, four assists, something. And Jokic, you know, 26 points, 16 assists and nine and a half rebounds. I mean, these guys are just absolutely out trying to outperform each other in different ways. And I was just watching Embiid. playing for the Sixers against that against the Washington Wizards. And man, it's it's kind of tough to say whether either of them are better. I mean, Embiid seems like he's got the whole he's got the whole package down. He can shoot threes when he needs to. He's really good on the inside. It doesn't always have to be a layup. Sometimes he gets those really nice jump shots off and it works out really well. And then Jokic just has that range, that that passing range, that shooting range. I don't know. So going to you first on this one, Gabe. Is, are either of these guys better than the other? I mean, it's it's kind of tough to kind of find a way that one of them is outperforming the other one so far this season. Man, oh man! If I have a if I have a definitive answer in any one of these questions tonight, it's probably this one. I am a big Jokic fan. I think that when the time rises, he shines brightest. I think when Embiid, when he when this time shines, all right, he he just goes in the dark, man. Uh, we've seen him multiple times in the playoffs, in my opinion. There's been times where Jimmy Butler was the best player on his team, you know. <clears throat> and Jokic is is just that guy. He won MVP. He's the reigning MVP. Let's not forget that, folks. You know what I mean? He's the reigning MVP of the league. And he's on a worse team this year, and he's still making the playoffs. I'm pretty sure they're the sixth seed right now in the, in the West. Uh, either way, making the playoffs. And... He had, both of his co-stars have gone down. Um, Jamal Murray, obviously, in the playoffs last year. And then MPJ. Um, MPJ were going down with his back injuries. So I think Jokic has more on his plate, and he's still stepping up, stepping up to it. And come playoff time, I'd rather have him. I know people will try to say that he can, he's not really the greatest defender in the world, and I'm not going to say he is either. But I think in today's NBA, you can get by with someone, um, especially like him, who can space the floor. And when he does space the floor, he's not just an ISO player. He's out there as a passing threat, too. And he can knock down a three better than Yoke, better than Embiid. Uh, all the stats prove that. So I'm just going to leave it there. Yeah, obviously, you know, there's there's definitely cases that can be taken for both sides. But I like that. You're right. It feels like Jokic just has – He's kind of outranges Embiid in every sense of the word. Besides maybe on defense, that's probably the one area that, you know, I'd say Embiid probably has the advantage over with there. But, yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of comparisons you can make between these guys, and definitely the, the range the range difference between the two is a big one. But how about you, Casey? Who's, who's the better out of these two? Well, they're both probably the number one and two big man in the NBA right now. I'm – Embiid has a chip on his shoulder. Ben Simmons not being there. He's been able to kind of take over that 76ers team and kind of make it his own. But Jokic, the reigning MVP, is the better center right now. He can do everything that Embiid can't. And I think the stats show that he's he's leading in true shooting percentage. He's leading in um, offensive win shares. He's winning in field goal. Like all these stats – Jokic like the it like the analytical stats that you don't see on paper just like the 26 7 and whatever 
Jokic is winning. So I think Jokic is making another MVP caliber year this year. Whether he's going to win it again, I don't know. There's a lot of good players that are making really good cases this year. Um, but he's definitely up there. And Embiid, I think he, if he proves it in the playoffs, he's definitely going to get a lot more votes because it's not for MVP, but like as the best center. But right now, I think Jokic has it right now. Embiid is a fantastic player. Like we're lucky to see these two big men even fight it out the way they are. But if I were picking one player to be on my team right now, it'd be Jokic. Yeah, and honestly, I, I'm going to have to agree with both of you guys on this one. I would I would go with, like you said, Casey, Jokic just, just statistically dominates every category. But when it comes down to watching both of these guys play, I might have to say, you know, in the moment, I'd almost say that Embiid was better than Jokic when it comes to, I'd, I'd say, isolation gameplay especially. I mean, you just get Embiid that ball sometimes, and he, he finds a way to get it to the rim, or he finds a way to get a nice little shot off. I mean, he's kind of perfected that. And through all these injuries, he's been able to continue to grow his game, which is important. I mean, when guys go down with injuries, it can be a huge detriment to them when it comes to learning new skills or just getting better at the ones that they already have. And he's shown that, I mean, even through injury, he can increase in skill every single time he gets out on that floor. So definitely a lot more of the NBA season left. So I'm excited to see those two keep at it. I mean, see if they can both keep healthy, hopefully touch wood uh, and see them keep battling it out for the rest of this year. So we're going to take a quick break, but after we are going to jump right back into NBA basketball, talking about some title contenders. So we'll be back right after this break. Good evening and welcome back to the double double here. I'm back with Gabriel, Gabriel and Casey, and we're going to be talking about some more basketball. I mean, it's always fun talking about specific players. We got to talk about some new guys that are doing really well in the league and some kind of experienced guys that are really making their staple for being in that top 10 conversation for the NBA. But now we're going to talk about teams overall. And man, this title race is going to look interesting. I mean, there's a lot of teams out there that definitely have a solid opportunity at grabbing that title. I mean, obviously, you know, the Bucks probably weren't the number one pick for a lot of people last year, but hey, they they beat it, they beat the Suns out and they were able to secure that. So I mean, even then, are the Bucks gonna run it back? There's there's so many different options. But going to you, Casey, what do you think is gonna be the most realistic option? Or to you, what do you think is gonna happen when it comes down to kind of making that run for the title? I think this is gonna be the most kind of we're not going to know who's going to be there until they make it kind of like how the Super Bowl was, is going to be this year. Like nobody would have saw the Bengals versus the Rams in the Super Bowl this year. Maybe you saw one of the teams, but you didn't see probably the Bengals. So I think it's kind of going to be like that in the NBA this year. There's a lot of great teams. Um, my always, my thing when it comes to NBA and it's always been, no, you've been, we've talked about this a bunch is if these teams can stay healthy and that comes to the Suns, the Bulls, the Heat even, all these teams, if they can stay healthy, they all have a chance to make a great like title run. But as we've seen with the Bulls as of recently, they're losing their two best guards or defensive guards, which now they're letting up over 110 points a game, which is ridiculous. You let up 115 against the Magic the other night. I think that was last night. But once those two guys get back, they're they're a good threat in the East. So I like the Bulls, but I think they're still a year away. But this this year is going to be 
random. I feel like it's going to be really random. I can see the Suns coming back and going back to the finals. I can see the Warriors making it, especially if Clay hits his hits his stride again and Draymond comes back healthy. I mean, there's a lot of good teams in the East and the West, which is really exciting to watch. Right. I mean, yeah, and like you said, Casey, you're you're right. We talk about it all the time, but it's just so important. I mean, when when guys like Embiid get injured for their team, it it's horrible. I mean, that's that's their main point scorer, the their their center even. A center's very valuable position in basketball. And most teams only have that one really good guy that they can play at that position. But I mean, like Embiid. So they've got Drummond in the back, which is nice, but you always want Embiid there. He's always going to be able to make that offense get going. But yeah, I mean. Honestly, there, there's been a lot of teams, especially the Bulls, that have been absolutely massacred by injuries. I mean, it's tough to watch because that's a team that everybody at the beginning of the season was really hopeful to see go far. And as long as they get their guys back in time, which I think right now they are, um, they should be all right. And the Suns, I mean, the Suns have, have kind of shown that they're they're keeping it steady. I mean, no real injuries, nothing, nothing too crazy on the injury side for them. And I believe they're 41 and nine still right now, still in the single digit losses on the season after 50 games, which is ridiculous. Obviously we've seen the Warriors do something like that, but we're not here to talk about the Warriors being the Warriors <laughs> unless this year they decide they want to be the Warriors. And yeah. <laughs> title. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But going over to you, Gabe, who, who are some of these teams that you think are going to kind of catapult in the second half of the season uh, and kind of show that they really could be a, a good title winning team. It's really interesting, honestly, looking at the landscape of the NBA right now. My Chicago Bulls, number one in the East, as Casey perfectly highlighted, we've been decimated by injuries recently. And as you highlight, highlighted, Noah, uh, we should be all right. They should be coming back probably within six weeks. You should, everyone, you should have everyone back healthy. Hopefully, hopefully everyone's rehabs go all right and everything. But besides the point, in the East, there's five teams that are a game and a half um, away from, or four teams, I should say, that are a game and a half away from the number one seed. So everything is really close in the East. It's really hard to see who's really standing out from everyone else. The pack is really close. <clears throat> At this point in time, I'm still going to, say that the defending champions are my favorites probably coming out of the East. Um, you got not, I wouldn't say like my favorites at this point, like definitively, but if I had to pick someone, it's going to be the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, they still have a solid group. Everyone's still kind of healthy. I know Giannis and all of them have been dealing with a little bit injuries, but nothing too serious. So I think come playoff time, they'll really turn into a serious contender. And then in the Western Conference, it's a little bit more tricky. It kind of was like the same thing as last year with the Suns being the number one seed, um, having an outstanding record. And I think that they'll kind of go on the same path as they did last year. Um, and then you have teams like Utah who um, have been kind of decimated by injuries so far. Um, Rudy Gobert, Donovan, or yeah, Donovan Mitchell um, have been out for a little bit now. And Joe Ingles just went down for the season. So that team's going to have to figure out some things, but I think that they'll come back strong too. Um, they usually don't seem to turn it on though when it comes to playoff time. So I'm really going to be doubting, doubting them at this point in time. And then you have teams like, like Memphis, who I think are really serious contenders this year too. Um, they're the third seed right now in the West. John Moran's playing at an MVP level. 
Um, you have other guys around them, Bain. Um, hopefully, Brooks, I think he's a little injured right now. Hopefully, he comes back healthy. Um, Triple J down low. Um, their team, they have a really, really good squad, and I think they're really well coached. So, I think that come playoff time, we saw them last year. Um, Who did they play? I think it was the Warriors, right? Or, or am, I, am I mistaken? I think I it think, was the Warriors in the playoff, in right? The play, in the play-in. Um, mm-hmm. They were pretty – I thought they, they played really well. They won that game. Um, and then they played the the the, the Suns, right? Um, first round, or did they play the Jazz? And either way, I, I forgot. Either, I think they, it was the Jazz. Either way, I think they I, – all I remember, John Moran, he played really well, and I expect him to step it up again this year because he's obviously taking his game to another level. So, hopefully – we can see the uh, Memphis Grizzlies making it pretty far this year in the Western Conference Finals and mixing things up a little bit. Right. So if you were to give a definitive answer for both your Eastern and Western Conference picks for the finals right now, what would you what would you put those at, Gabe? That's really hard, man, especially the Western Conference. I think in the East, I would just go definitely the Bucks again, just because I like the continuity of their team. I think I would pick the Brooklyn Nets, but it just their team is injury has a lot of injuries right now. And also who knows how if they're still gonna have that away home game thing for Kyrie Irving come playoff time and how much that'll impact um the team. But if they were healthy and all things are a go for them, I'd say the Brooklyn Nets, but I'm gonna go with the Milwaukee Bucks and then the West. That's an even harder one for me, man. I don't want to pick the the Suns. They're a great team, though, and I think if they're healthy, I would have to pick them at this point in time just because all there's some other teams out there that I think would be worthy of contention, but they're a little injury-ridden. Um, I would love to say the Lakers are we're going to be in there um, with Anthony <laughs> Davis and LeBron healthy, but uh, probably not this year, man. <clears throat> uh, the Denver Nuggets are not going to be in this year because of how much injuries they've dealt with. I'm not too much of a fan, honestly, if the Warriors come playoff time. Um, I think that they're just going to have to figure out um, their team a little bit more, and and we'll see, honestly. I think that they don't really have too much strength down low. So I'm going to have to go with the Suns at this point in time and go with just straight up a rematch of last year. Okay, yeah, I like that. Honestly, my Western Conference pick was also the Suns. I feel like they just kind of have been showing this year that they're even more solid. I mean – Chris Paul keeping it, keeping up with it. Devin Booker putting up pretty good numbers on the offensive end. And, I mean, it's just such a really good team. Just watching them, their passing is absolutely beautiful. I used to think it was the Warriors that had the best passing on a team, you know, just looks-wise. But, man, the Suns can do some really fantastic stuff on that end. And for my Eastern Conference pick, you know, I'm going to have to go for a little bit of a strange one here. So kind of go back a couple of years here. Uh, and I'm going to have to go with the Heat. Now that Jimmy Butler's come back, I feel like, I mean, I think he he played like 56 minutes in that that double overtime game or the triple overtime game or whatever it was. And, I mean, he, he put up some absolutely fantastic numbers, and he did that before the game went into overtime. So I feel like with Jimmy back, with Bam kind of getting back into it as well, uh, getting his regular double-doubles again, obviously Tyler Hero's starting to settle down a little bit back into the game as well. That's that's just another really scary team come playoff time. And I I mean they've showed it. Jimmy Jimmy Butler has shown us that he can do that kind of thing. So just kind of halfway through the season or a little bit more right now, I'm gonna go with Suns as my Western Conference pick, 
and the Heat as my Eastern Conference pick. So how about you, Casey? What are your two picks looking like so far? Oh, man. This is going to be a tough one, but I kind of want to make a prediction after the trade deadline because when the trade deadline happens, I mean, the Lakers could turn into a differently like a totally different team. We've seen it happen before where LeBron's like, I'm going to blow it up, make a playoff team, go to the finals. You know, it's, it's definitely happened before. So I'm not counting the Lakers out yet. Of course, LeBron and AD are out right now, but they're only three games under 500 and they have Russell Westbrook at the helm uh, trying to lead that team. And I mean, Malik Monk has been fantastic this year too. Whether they keep starting Malik when everybody's healthy, I hope they do because he's a fantastic scorer for that team. Um, but I, it's hard to say right now. I kind of want to see how things settle down around the trade deadline. I want to see if Jeremy Grant goes anywhere from the uh, Pistons, a good team. I want to see what they end up doing with Ben Simmons. Um, there's a lot of good teams that could use a player or two to kind of bolster their offense or defense. Um, we have to see what Chicago does. I feel like they're in the running for a power forward right now because they desperately need one. Um, but it's just too hard to tell. I think, if I were to pick right now, I would say it's either between the Bulls and Miami for me. I think the Bulls, if they can stay healthy, I still think they're a year away, but if they get healthy and Lonzo comes back from that knee injury and still is a defensive player of the year type player and Alex Caruso as well, they're going to hold teams under 100 points or 105 points, which is going to be great towards playoff time when you have to have teams under that kind of um, like that threshold of points. So don't count out the Bulls. Don't come out, count out the Lakers yet. But I think it's either going to be the Bulls, Miami, and on the West, I'm going to say, oh, this is the probably the toughest one. I'm going to say, I think the Warriors come and make it to the NBA Finals again because everybody's going to be healthy again. And, I mean, that's the best bench they've had since their playoff runs back in a couple of years ago. And I mean, Andrew Wiggins is playing on a phenomenal level too. So, yeah. Right. And speaking of Andrew Wiggins, real quick at the end of our segment here with Casey, should, we should talk about him because Andrew Wiggins, I mean, he's a great role player. Don't get me wrong. He does his job for the Warriors. I mean, obviously he's doing his job. Uh, now that Clay is back, uh, it's probably going to slow down a bit, you know, of course, because they're not going to need him to be as efficient on the offensive end. But just, just a real quick yes or no from you, Casey and maybe like a replacement, should he be in that starting position in the all-star game? And if not, who should be playing instead of him? This is probably going to be the most debated thing that comes to the all-star game until we figure out the reserves, which come out tomorrow. And Andrew Wiggins is one of those players. We know he was the first overall pick by the Cavs traded to the Timberwolves. He's had a really interesting career. Um, but for him to be named a starter for the all-star game, I think that's a little outrageous, a little outlandish. Uh, he's having a good season, and he's finally having a good defensive season that we haven't seen out of Andrew Wiggins, and he was supposed to be one of the best defensive prospects and offensive prospects when he came in. So I'm going to say that he should have been a reserve. I think Jordan Poole should have gotten a lot of, a little notoriety as well because when Clay in Clay's absence, he was actually doing really well too. Um, so I'm going to say he shouldn't have been a starter, but he definitely has a case to make the reserves. Right, and how about you, Gabe? Who do you think uh... – should have made it in over Andrew. Or, I mean, should he have made it in the first place? No, he should not have made it in the first <laughs> place. Nah, I think most Americans would agree with that sentiment. And I think that if I had to choose someone, I would go with Luka Doncic. 
Man's averaging 25, nine and nine. How do you beat that? You know, I know he's back to triple double form. Uh, he's, he's set to go. So yeah, definitely a lot of other people that, that could have, you know, replaced him that didn't, but that's all right. So that is going to finish off our first half hour section here with Casey. Casey, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hopefully of course. see you again soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, me and Gabe will be back with Brandon after this short break. Welcome back to the Double Double on KLJX LP and Flagstaff. I'm Gabriel Dixon, your host for this half hour. And we're going to be talking about some NFL. I got Noah Dagan with me and a new guest for this half hour, Brandon. How you doing, Brandon? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Not bad. Not bad. Ready to talk some NFL? Oh, I'm always ready to talk NFL. All right. Well, and well the biggest thing you already know that happened this past weekend uh, was the AFC NFC championship games. Some good games, man. Um, Bengals somehow upsetting the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead. And then we also had the Rams versus the 49ers in L.A. Um, some really terrific games. I would say that the Kansas City game was something I did not see coming. Maybe a lot of people didn't see coming. Brandon, let me get your opinions on that on, on that AFC game. Well, Going last week when we talked about it, I said that the only way the Bengals could win really is if they brought momentum and they just kind of brought the energy throughout the entire game. I feel like that's kind of what they did. I mean, they just – they played pretty decent defense. First half was terrible for them up until the very end. But once the second half hit, it was like the sides flipped and it turned into more of a evenly contested match. And it was just – once overtime hit and they got the pick, the, the interception, I knew it was – they're gonna go down and try to score, and I thought that I knew if McPherson came up, he was gonna hit that field goal. So. Hey man, McPherson, that's the guy right now for the Bengals. He's been basically a fortune teller for 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 them for the past couple of weeks, and I didn't really see that coming from Joe Burrow, man. If you would have told me, especially a quarter in that game, that they came out of that with a win, I would have definitely called you a liar. The odds probably were like plus five thousand at that point on on betting odds, but Joe Burrow, man, the boys, they were able to do it. No, what'd you think about that game? Yeah. You know, I remember starting to watch it. I, I kind of missed out a little bit on the first part. Cause I was, I was, you know, I was obviously thinking the chiefs were just going to do bad things to them. And I mean, they did, they started off that game. It was 21, three, the Bengals were down 18. I mean, I was like, all right, well, this sucks. And I, I kept watching and, you know, Joe Burrow did something incredible. And I mean, Hopefully we, we can see that coming out of the, uh, you know, going into the Super Bowl. Maybe we'll see something else incredible. I mean, he's been doing it so much this postseason already. So I think he's got a really good chance at it. You know, I think if anything, that, that defense, especially for the Bengals, is going to hopefully be able to ride off the momentum that they've been carrying. Because uh, this Rams offense is going to be really nasty. And I, I kind of want to see where that, that kind of matchup goes. But, yeah, I think – just a fantastic game. Joe Burrow doing bad things is something that I think we're all going to have to get used to for the next couple of years. Definitely, man. Joe Burrow is really showing that he's a top quarterback in this league. These past couple of games in the playoffs, really getting it done. And I would say that that defense, too, has really stepped up their game. It's not easy to stop Patrick Mahomes. It's doable. And it's been done a couple of times before, but it's not easy. But that defense was able to do it, honestly, through an entire half of football. They only allowed three points to Kansas City. 
that's pretty that's pretty crazy. So I believe that they'll be able if they can duplicate that performance. And Joe Burrow, obviously, with that offense, they obviously need to do something about that offensive line. But with those receivers on the outside, Joe Mixon, a top running back in the league right now, I think that there's definitely definitely some danger over there in Cincinnati that that can be seen. But let's move over to the NFC. NFC game was 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 pretty good, uh, to say the least. So you had the Rams versus the 49ers in. Uh Kind of like the same same thing. You would have told me a little bit through that game, seven to seventeen. I would have been like, man, the 49ers are taking this home. They basically have the home crowd here in LA. This this is not good for the Rams. But somehow the Rams were able to pull it out. Um, no, what were your thoughts on that game? Yeah, you know, I, I watched it with my buddy, who's a, a pretty strong 49ers fan. Uh, he's been, you know, he's been through all the ups and downs, the Super Bowl, and all the bad years before the Super Bowl. It's and yeah, you know, it's, it was tough because the, the 49ers really should have had that game in under wraps. They, they definitely were doing everything on the defensive end to show for it. But, you know, it just something that I kind of saw happen at the end. Not I think it was in the it was probably in the just in the second half. But I started seeing a lot of delay of game calls that just were kind of getting brushed under the rug. Uh, I think I remember seeing like at least two or three calls that should have happened on the Rams for delay of game that were just ignored. I mean, nothing happened. They, they just played through it like it was nothing. And I mean, they did get, they, you know, they got a first down on one of them and they got like five yards on another, but that's, that's still yards towards the touchdown. So, I mean, it, you know, a delay of game is a, is a five yard penalty, I believe. Right. So that, that could have made a difference in, in what was going on in the game. And Obviously, Tart missing that interception was absolutely devastating. It was right in his arms. It, it sucks to see a defense that was doing so good throughout the entirety of the postseason just fall to one mere play, and that was that was really tough to watch. But other than that, I, I thought it was a great game. 49ers definitely should have come out with that one. But, I mean, hey, Rams get home field advantage for the Super Bowl. Good for them. <laughs> yeah. One could say the 49ers should have won that game, but I think that they shouldn't have been in that position anyways. I think the Rams are too talented, man. They're well coached too, and they shouldn't have been down like that in the first place. Now, honestly, it makes me pretty scared about how they're going to perform in the Super Bowl because they've, they've allowed basically a comeback by Tom Brady um, earlier in this postseason that Todd Bowles basically just gave right back to them. And then now they had to barely scrap this win over the 49ers with sloppy Jimmy G. And we all know that the guy that he's going to be up against is not Jimmy G in this next round. Um, Brandon, what do you, what did you think about the NFC game? Well, I thought it was interesting due to the fact that it kind of flipped for the Rams. Cause when they played Tampa, it was, they killed in the first half and the second half, they kind of fell apart. But then in this game, First half, they weren't doing well. In the second half, they kicked it up into high gear. And to be completely honest, I think the only reason the Rams won was their defense in the second half. I mean, the defense stepped up really well in the second half and just kind of stopped Jimmy G in his tracks. But other than that, I didn't think Matthew Stafford had a great game. I mean, he threw an interception in the red zone that started it off. And I was like, okay, this is not starting off well at all. But, yeah, I mean, just off that, I thought – 
that the 49ers played well. They just couldn't seal the deal. And I think that was the biggest problem with that game. Just the 49ers couldn't seal it. So, yeah. Yeah, when you got, when you got a guy like Jimmy G, um, that can be pretty hard in my estimation a lot of times. Because everyone knows at a certain point that it's going to start running the ball because they can't trust him throwing it. Trust me, man. And I, I, I'm right there with you, Brandon, too. To start that game off, Matthew Stafford throws the interception, forcing it to Cooper Cup in the inside. Not a terrible pass, but it just set the tone for that game. And I thought the 49ers were going to come away with that one, honestly. I did not, I did not see the Rams coming back to win it, but they did. And all props to them for doing that, honestly. But we're going to move on to another subject that might have some different opinions in this in this lobby right now. But Patrick Mahomes, he's been in a couple of big games now. And there's a lot of opinions on, is he really that guy when the, when the, when the moment shines uh, the brightest? Noah, um, what's your opinions on Patrick Mahomes? Do you think he's really that guy? What, would you take him over most people in the league right now with two minutes left? You know, I mean, what I saw him do with, what was it, 16 or 13 seconds to get into field goal range with that amount of time? I mean, after I saw that, I kind of just told myself in my head, there's probably, you know, give Patrick Mahomes, I'd say 30 seconds, and he's going to get a touchdown a decent amount of those times that he gets to try. And, I mean, he, he's been that guy. He's shown that he he makes it to the playoffs every year. And, I mean, you know, it wasn't a terrible game against the Bengals. I mean, still threw for 275 yards, three touchdowns, but those two interceptions definitely, you know, not not the best, not ideal. I mean, before that game, I think in all of his playoff games that he'd ever played, he had only thrown one or two interceptions. And, I mean, he threw two in this single game. So, them still only losing by three points in an overtime game, I mean – he, he's still that guy for sure. At, at the end of the day, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, bless up to him. He carried me in my fantasy league to, to another win, another first place. So I'll ride with Patrick Mahomes any day. I'm not a huge fan of the Chiefs, but I, I think Pat, Patrick's definitely still that guy. Definitely. But there has been some moments in the playoffs where he has shown that he's shown that he has weaknesses, let's say the least. I would say in the, even his Super Bowl win against the 49ers, he didn't look too good through three quarters, and then he stepped it up in the fourth quarter. And it's not saying that – and I guess that kind of says that he's still clutch because at the end of the day, he'll he'll rise to the occasion and when Jimmy G will throw an interception, basically. Um, but there's, there's also been other moments. Like um, last year's Super Bowl, he didn't play too well, only had nine points, never got a touchdown. Um, so he's not, I would say, unstoppable. And then, like, this last game – you you got to do something, man. Uh, the entire second half, you you only have three points at home in Arrowhead. Brandon, what's your opinion on this? Do you think he's overrated? No, I don't think he's overrated at all. I, I This debate kind of gets me. I'm like, I don't think there's even a debate. This guy is the best thing they have in the NFL. I mean, you look at all great quarterbacks in the playoffs. Some They all throw interceptions. They all fall off. I mean, Aaron Rodgers this year scored 10 points in the cold and he I think was quoted at one point saying that if they played this I think it was the 49ers actually in the playoffs if they play this team in uh Green Bay it's a completely different story and I mean kind of wrote itself the same way but I just think that Patrick Mahomes 
and everyone does forget that last year in the Super Bowl, when he did only score nine points, it was because two of his old linemen were hurt. Like he was missing his two best old linemen, Pro Bowlers, both of them. So, I mean, I just think that there's only, the only quarterback I would take in the last two minutes of a game is Tom Brady. But, I mean, he's retired now. So, I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes next. And I think he's the best thing in the NFL by far. Hey, man, a lot of people would agree with you. Patrick Mahomes, he got that half a billion dollar contract for a reason. He's definitely a special talent. But honestly, in my opinion, I hesitate just a little bit when I see him in the playoffs because I look at I look at guys like, like Tom Brady. He's obviously the staple. That guy always rises to the occasion. And he might not look the greatest. He might throw an interception or two. But you never count him out. And that's the same thing with Patrick Mahomes, kind of. He kind of reminds me of, like, a little bit of Aaron Rodgers, you know? Like, there's there is a little bit of weakness to him, um, especially when it comes to postseason time. Uh, those guys will shine um, even a little bit of Payne Manning, you know? These are great. These are great, all-time great quarterbacks. Um, these are guys that I think, in my opinion, were great in the, in the regular season and then maybe faded a little bit will come postseason time. Um, so that's going to have to do it for this. 15 minutes we'll be back in a couple minutes to talk a little bit more nfl sorry if i bother anyone too much with those patrick mahomes comments but trust me it'll get a little bit better in a couple minutes stay tuned welcome back to the double double i'm gabriel dixon your host this evening alongside me my co-host noah dakin and the guest for this half hour is brandon hurley we're talking some nfl we're gonna be talking about some nfl coaching hires it's been a lot recently been some good ones, some bad ones, but we're going to be talking talking about all of them right now. Let's start off with my Chicago Bears, a personal one to me. I don't want to give my opinion away too quick. I think any someone, if you're smart enough, you might be able to guess it. But, Brandon, what do you think about uh, the Chicago Bears hiring Matt Eberflus? Matt Eberflus, the defensive <laughs> coordinator out of Indiana. <laughs> I was shocked. Replacing Matt with Matt, just so yeah. you guys know, too. Matt Nagy got uh -huh. fired, and they they hired Matt Eberflus. <laughs> yeah, that one shocked me a little bit. I was not expecting him to get hired for that job. I was thinking it was going to be Brian Flores right out the gate. I was like, okay. He has a history of but I thought There was some questions I had with that hiring, but, I mean – I actually wasn't opposed to it. I thought it was going to be either Brian Flores or the Green Bay, uh, Green Bay OC. But no, they. I don't. I have nothing against it. I think the he the DC for the Colts, Eberflus, has done a great job where he was at. And I mean, I hope he does well. I mean, you never want a coach to do bad, so <laughs> kind of hope for the best. Definitely, I would say, as a Chicago fan. Um, best of luck to you, but you are not my first pick. Noah, what do you think about Matt Eberflus? Yeah, Matt Eberflus, I mean, you know, defensive coordinator for the Colts, right? Colts have been doing – I mean, that, that defense in the year that they had Austin Rivers as their quarterback was heavily carried – or that team was heavily carried by that defense. And, I mean, you know, maybe – it's it's just confusing, you know, because, I mean, it's it's the Bears, so – they kind of switched out everyone, you know, then they get a new offensive coordinator as well. And 
new defensive coordinator. I mean, these these guys really kind of just did a hard reset on their whole coaching staff. So, yeah, I mean, toss him at the at the helm, see how he how he does it. But, I mean, anything for the Bears. I mean, anything's going to help, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, so hopefully they can get something going next year. I mean, I'm excited. Full reset, see where they go from here. Yeah, we hired uh, – I'm forgetting his name right now, but he's the quarterback coach out of Green Bay. And hopefully – He's supposed to be our offensive coordinator. Hopefully he can do some. Oh, Luke Getze. Yep. That was his name. Luke Getze. Hopefully he can do some, some, uh, some magic with Justin Fields and he can focus in on him. Matt Eberflus, step your game up with this defense. You got some good guys around there. Not, not I wouldn't say exceptionally great, but I love Roquan. Roquan Smith is one of the best middle linebackers in the league, in my opinion. And you got Jalen Johnson outside, a young stud uh, cornerback. Uh, Eddie Jackson, hopefully he can revive him of some sorts. And then Khalil Mack and, and Robert Quinn are, are not slouches either. So he, is, he has something to work with on the defensive side, his specialty. But let's move on, unless you had something else to say to that, Brandon. I did. I was going to say, I saw a thing with the Bears coaching hires recently. And it was that they have not hired an offensive-minded coach in the last four hires, it's been all defense. And in it's my mind, when I, saw, I know, but when I saw it in my mind, I was like, I saw the, um, when you, I was thinking to myself, okay, this team has a decent defense, but you need offense desperately. And when they started, when they decided to hire Eberflus, I was like, you really didn't go OC at any point. Cause I mean, you got, so, there were so many offensive coordinators available too. And it was like, out of all of them, you chose a defensive coordinator. It just, didn't make sense to me at all. My number one was Brian Dayball, and that's going to be the coach we're talking about next. And then if we couldn't get him, I was uh, – our finalists were uh, Dan Quinn, Jim Caldwell, and Matt Eberflus. And I honestly wanted um, Jim Caldwell. I know he's nothing super exceptional, but I like the job that he did uh, when he's with Detroit. Out of the three years that he was there, he took Detroit to the playoffs twice. And if you, you – can you imagine that? He took Detroit to the playoffs twice in three years. That's exceptional, in, in my opinion. So I would like to see what he could do with that with our team. But, hey, man, it's over with. Um, Matt Eberflus, best of luck to you. And hopefully, man, you're the guy for us in Chicago. But let's move on to the New York Giants. They hired who I was just talking about, Brian Dayball, the offensive coordinator out of Buffalo, Buffalo Bills. He has been seen as a, a offensive guru, basically. Hopefully, he can work some wonders on Danny Dimes, uh, Daniel Jones. Uh, what do you think about this hire, Noah? Yeah, you know, definitely super strong. Like you said, there there have been a lot of offensive coordinators that are kind of really prized for a head coaching position, and you know, I mean, even guys like Josh McDaniels, the the Patriots' offensive coordinator, uh, he was bound to go somewhere eventually. So. Nice seeing a guy like that go as well. But, yeah, I mean, Dabble, he's he's going to fit great in that system. It'll be interesting to see if the Giants decide to keep running with Daniel Jones, though, or if they decide to maybe pick up another quarterback from a different team. Uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, I think fans are probably starting to get starting to get fed up a little bit of it now. And, I mean, Daniel Jones hasn't been doing it recently for him, so maybe they decide to make a big change in that department as well if they can – figure something out but yeah I mean great hiring for a head coach and definitely interesting to see where that offensive side is going to go next year 
Brandon? Um, I fully agree. I thought Brian Dable, I thought he was going to get a job last offseason, but no one ended up picking him up. But this offseason, when I saw Giants were interested in him, I'm like, okay, he's going to New York. But no, he I he is definitely an offensive guru. I mean, he knows a lot what he's talking about. And I do think he can maybe revitalize Daniel Jones. I mean, that I think is his big project and also just trying to help that offense in any way he can. I mean, Daniel Jones is kind of similar. I don't want to say he's Josh Allen, but he's eerily similar to Josh Allen in the sense that both are taller quarterbacks, both have cannons of arms, but they just – and they both are kind of mobile. So, I mean, maybe he can work something out and make Daniel Jones into a Josh Allen-esque type quarterback. Yeah, hopefully he's not too ruined and Brian Dayball can work some magic over there in the Big Apple. So let's move on. Uh, another hire over the past couple of weekends was over in Denver. The Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett out of Green Bay. Uh he is known as an offensive-minded head coach or coach, and hopefully he can work some magic with Drew Locke, too, or something over there. They're going to have to figure out a situation at quarterback, and some people are obviously speculating that this hire means that they're trying to lure in Aaron Rodgers. Brandon, what do you think about the hire? Um, I, thought, I think this hiring is all geared toward Aaron Rodgers. I think that's the whole plan there. Because I think they also brought in the tight end coach to Green Bay. I think they're just trying to recreate Green Bay's staff. But, no, I think he's a good coach. I mean, he's done some great things over in Green Bay. Uh, he's made Aaron Rodgers and all that team look spectacular, except in the playoffs. So, you have to figure that out. But I think he's a good coach. I thought he was going to get a job no matter what. Once I saw his name floating around, I knew he was going to get a job. But, no, Denver definitely – it's a good hire for them. I mean, they definitely need some offense – they definitely need some help on offense. You got some weapons. You got two good running backs, good receivers, and you just you really need to figure out that quarterback position. So we'll see what he does with that. But I like the hiring. No, what do you think about the Broncos hire? Yeah, it definitely seems like a scheme to get Aaron Rodgers to come join the Denver Broncos. I mean, obviously he he's probably had a lot of good seasons with that guy as the offensive coordinator. So he. I feel like Aaron Rodgers is a guy that definitely kind of sticks with who he likes. Obviously, he's a huge fan of, of Devontae Adams. Uh, those two are real real close, real tight. They always have been since Devontae joined. And I, so I think Aaron Rodgers is just that kind of guy that will kind of gravitate towards people that he has a liking of. And hopefully he liked Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, yeah, it could be a really great move to try to get him to come join him. But, yeah, interesting to see where, where they're going to go with that one. I think it's a decent hire. Obviously, uh, he's worked pretty well with Aaron Rodgers, as you both highlighted. So hopefully he can duplicate that success there in Denver. And we'll see if they're able to bring Aaron Rodgers. And if they do, then most likely Devontae Adams is coming with them too. They have a good running game, a nice offensive line. The defense is really good. So that's a lot of enticing reasons to go there. A good organization. He can just basically look at Payne Manning and look at the reasons why to go there, honestly. So let's go to the to the Las Vegas Las Vegas Raiders turning to the offensive coordinator of Josh McDaniels of the New England Patriots to be the savior and hopefully lead Las Vegas to some prosperity here in the future. What do you think about this hire, Noah? 
Yeah, I mean, like I said a little earlier, uh, Josh McDaniels has absolutely been fantastic for the Patriots. I mean, he kind of made something out of nothing for a long time, or, you know, not a long time. He obviously had Tom Brady, but definitely definitely didn't have, you know, the best of situations, and he, he did a good job. So, and, and again, I mean, the Raiders could be looking really scary next year. I mean, obviously we're talking about how Devontae Adams really has a good connection with Aaron Rodgers, but at the same time, he did go to – uh, college with Derek Carr uh, and honestly Devontae Adams would look really cool in that Raiders gear <laughs> so if, if they could kind of get that I believe it was Fresno where they both went that Fresno connection going uh, if that could somehow you know work its way out that'd be great but yeah honestly anything anything for anything's better than what the Raiders had this last time uh, after what you know was found out so I think they're going in the right direction. Brandon what do you think about the iron? Um, well, for me, I grew up in Boston, so my entire household, except for me, is Patriots fans. So I hear all the Patriots talk and everything, and I think it was a great hire. I mean, I think Josh McDaniels is absolutely a phenomenal coach, OC. I do think he does he does bring them that kind of win-now mentality, like he's going to bring in the winning mentality for them, which is what they needed. And they also brought in the general manager of the Patriots, so that also helps them in bringing personnel that they would like. But no, I think he's going to be a great coach. I thought he was going to be getting, he should have had a head coaching job a while ago, but he's finally back. And I think he's going to definitely bring success to the Raiders. I don't know how much, because I mean, that division they're playing in is, that's a tough division. I mean, you got Chiefs, you got Chargers, and you also have the Broncos who may get Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that's going to be, really tough situation for them. But I mean, if you can bring in certain guys like Devontae Adams to help them win, it, it would be great for them to definitely succeed in that division. So, Josh McDaniels, I thought it was a curious hire, honestly, by the Las Vegas Raiders. If I was them, I, would, I think I would have just stuck with uh, Rich Bashemi. I always mess his last name up. Um, but the special teams coordinator that they promoted to head coach still led the team to the playoffs. Um, I think that they should have stuck with him personally, but Josh McDaniels, like you highlighted, his years in New England were obviously terrific all the times with Tom Brady, even with the lack of weapons. Still made something out of nothing a lot of the times, even like you said, no, you got Tom Brady, so it ain't nothing. But I remember a lot of times when it was just Chris Hogan was their number one receiver, and they still looked pretty good on offense. He still schemed things up pretty well. And I think he's a good offensive-minded coach. I, I worry a little bit about how good he's going to be as a head coach because we've seen what he, he did previously with the Denver Broncos back in 2009, 2010. He had a – what was his record? He had 8-8 in his first first season and 3-9 and nine in his second season. They fired him after week 13. It was pretty bad in that second year, but hopefully – I mean, it's been over 10 years since that's happened, so he's obviously learned a lot, and I think he definitely deserves another chance. So that's going to have to do it for us in this in this hour of the double-double. We'll be back in a couple minutes um, to talk a little bit more sports. Brandon, thank you so much for joining. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to always be on. You already know. And we'll be back in a couple minutes. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the double-double on KLJXLP in Flagstaff. This is the double-double on 107.1 FM radio. I'm your host, Gabriel Dixon, for this last half hour, joined by my co-host, Noah Dakin. What up, Noah? What's up? 
All right, man, let's wrap this up. But as always, I'm going to be doing my real life example. Um, it's going to be talking a little bit about sports and trying to relate it to something in real life to get you guys um, a little bit no more knowledgeable on the subject. <clears throat> and this week, I chose something a little different, but something that I, I love all sports, man, um, from tennis to cricket to, to equestrian. Uh, for all you that are wondering what that is, that's nice horse horse competitions. Uh, I love shooting, man. I love archery. Love it all. Love when the Olympics come to try to catch all the games. And recently, there's there was something big in sports that I kind of wanted to talk about, and that was uh, Rafael Nadal uh, getting his 21st Grand Slam. This is the most ever by any tennis player. <clears throat> and it's really a remarkable feat. And it had me just thinking about the tennis landscape and how I grew up watching it, the people that I watch, and the three most dominant people that I watched were Roger Federer. He's kind of an old man now, but he's still running the game, still pretty good in competition. Uh, Novak Djokovic, he is a, he's a monster man. Uh, I think he's from Serbia, if I'm not getting it wrong, uh, somewhere in the Eastern European or Russian landscape. And then uh, Rafa Nadal, who I, who I just mentioned earlier. <clears throat> these three guys have really defined what it's meant to me to, to be a tennis or uh, what tennis is, um, how I see it, what great tennis players look like. And it really reminded me of some other people that I've watched throughout my life, or at least watched their creations. And these would be some of the directors um, that we all are fond of or know in our, in our uh, culture. And those three would be, for me, would be Scorsese, uh, Mars Scorsese, you got uh, Tarantino, in my opinion, and then uh, Spielberg. Those three guys uh, are common names across American culture. Um, probably 80%, 90% of the population knows those guys or probably have watched one of their movies. <clears throat> so I think you'll be able to, to relate, understand my relation a little bit to these three. Um, Scorsese uh, is, is kind of known more as a, uh, I think he makes more classical movies, uh, things that, that really are, are, are edited in time, something you can watch over and over. Um, Spielberg, he, he makes all the movies, man. Uh, he's, he's been around for a long time. He has done it all, honestly. Um, made really good movies, made even bad ones, but Throughout it all, he's definitely someone I think that is a prominent uh, director in the game. <laughs> and then Tarantino, I think would be a lot of young people's favorite um, directors just because he makes pretty crazy movies. He's pretty out there. Um, he likes to put a little twist on things, you know, um, different than the, the average director out there. And <laughs> I would say to me, uh, Scorsese, the classical guy, the guy that uh, that that really has just been around for a while, has done it all. Um, really makes classics though. That reminds me of Nadal, because really they've just been here for a long time. He has all the awards, just like Nadal getting his twenty first Grand Slam just now. Uh, these guys, I think, um, I think they just. They, they kind of just seem too similar to me, in my opinion. They, they have the same type of uh, characteristics, in my opinion. They kind of are 
always kind of even kill um, cool guys, but just kind of classic in their own right. Um, I would say Roger Federer kind of has that classic feel too, but he reminds me too much of Spielberg, man. Uh, these guys have been around for a long time, both of these dudes. Um, uh, they, they both have done it all, honestly. They've been here throughout the ages. Spielberg, like I mentioned, has done every single movie, basically, man. He's done a lot of classics. Roger Federer has been here since I've basically been born playing tennis. So I, I really see those guys kind of being the same. And then the last but not least, I'd say Tarantino. Um, the controversial one or the the crazy one, in my opinion. I love his movies, man. A little bit of action in them a lot of the times. Um, he reminds me of uh, Novak Djokovic. Djokovic, if you ever watched this guy, man, he plays with an edge. He's really... Uh, He's pretty hard, man. He has the Eastern European uh, feel to him. I don't know if that's, I don't want to stereotype too hard and I'm just joking around a little bit, but those guys seem tough to me, you know? <clears throat> um, so I would, I would say that he reminds me of him, Djokovic. Uh, they both, man, they're real tough guys, or at least Tarantino makes those types of, types of movies. So I'd say those three, those three players, man, and those three directors, they stand throughout the ages. And they all have their own characteristics that I think are kind of similar. What do you think, Don? Yeah, honestly, I like I like all those comparisons. You know that, that that you're right though about the Djokovic one. It's kind of like, you know, the thing that sets off Tarantino from everyone else is that his movies are kind of weird sometimes. <laughs> they don't exactly follow the blueprint to you know a fantastic movie, and I think that's kind of what gives uh, Novak his same edge in tennis. Is he kind of has his own style of play that he's stuck to for however long now, and it's worked. And it, how old is he? Is, is he starting to get up there in age? I, I, I don't know how old he is. Is he kind of um, like? I don't believe he's too old. I know he he has a decent amount of time left on um on his clock. Let me look it up right now. It's uh he's is thirty four years old, and I think yeah. Roger Federer is like forty one or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, and Roger Federer just played him in the Masters, um, not the Masters, uh, in Wimbledon. Sorry, I'm getting my sports mixed up. Played him in Wimbledon, uh, I think two years ago. So he still has a decent amount of time, I would say, left to Djokovic. And he's pretty close to Rafael Nadal, too, um, with that Grand Slam um, titles. Right. And honestly, you know, it's it's kind of like, we, I didn't watch too much tennis when I was a lot younger, you know, so I didn't watch like guys like Roger Federer, Federer nearly as much. Uh, but Novak has kind of always been so as long as I've known or as long as I've been aware of it, he's been that guy in the tennis world. So do you think he's going to just kind of going off on that real quick? Do you think he's going to catch up to who was who it that just got his 21st? It was Rafa Nadal. Yeah, Nadal. Yeah. So you think he's, is he going to be able to catch up to Nadal? Because Nadal's also kind of getting a little older, isn't he? Yeah. Um, Nadal is 35 and Djokovic is 34. Oh. So they're, they're right there, um, right next to each other. <laughs> I would say if you ask a lot of people um, who's better, a lot of people would say um, the Djokovic. Um, and a lot of people will point to, um, the fact that not Nadal only is not only, but he is a lot more superior on clay um, opposed to other um, types of ports. 
which I think is is interesting when it comes down to it. I'm not that nuanced in in tennis, and I don't really under like understand how how important that is really exactly. But I would say that Nadal, man, if if I had to say if I'm picking who my best of all time is, I think I would go to Djokovic. So for me, the question kind of is already answered because I just like the style of play that he goes with. In every game I've seen him in, he has looked like the superior tennis player. And maybe I haven't watched enough tennis to know. Um, but I would say that I'm going to go with uh, the Djokovic, man. That's, that's You know what? I, I don't blame you. I think out, out of everyone I've watched uh, in the tennis world, it, it's weird because honestly, when it comes down to obviously grand slams, right? If Nadal is kind of edging out Djokovic, he, he's a year older, but he's, if he keeps up that pace, he should be able to hold, hold him off for the rest of his career, right? But it just yeah. depends when either of these guys might get injured or anything like that. You know, there's so many variables. So it's going to be yeah. watch. Yeah, Nadal's Nadal has 21, and the other two uh, have 20. So they're all right there, right next to each other. Nadal, yeah. he's been able to do it um, a decent amount recently, and I think he honestly had kind of a dry dry streak um, a couple of years ago for like three or four years. But that happens sometimes in tennis. Well, there'll be ups and downs. So we'll we'll see. Honestly, they're both a year apart from each other in age. They're only one grand slam away. So I think at the end of the day, uh, Djokovic definitely could catch up to him. And I think that Nadal is good enough to um, maybe even separate himself, though. So it's going to be interesting to keep your eyes on, though, in the future. So that's going to do it for this first 15 of the last 30 minutes. Stay tuned. Um, we'll be back in a couple of minutes to be talking a little bit more NFL. Good evening and welcome back to the Wednesday edition of the Double Double here with Gabriel Dixon and Noah Dakin. Uh, and we are going to finish off our final 15 minutes here, getting back into some NFL action, just to talk about what the big event is going to be in, not this weekend, but the weekend after, uh, the Super Bowl. Now, the Bengals versus the Rams, first of all, at the beginning of the postseason, what did you ever think in your head, like maybe we could see Bengals Rams, or was that kind of a surprise to you? The Rams, I definitely could have. You could have told me the Rams would have been there, and I wouldn't have been too surprised. But I don't think anyone in their right mind would have been thinking the Cincinnati Bengals were coming out of the AFC, especially with a guy named Patrick Mahomes there. They had the Buffalo Bills also in the conference. You had the Tennessee Titans, man. Even team, I would have, I would have honestly, I probably, I don't even know. I think if you had a, if you had a weapon in my head of some sorts and you were telling me which one, uh, the Patriots or the Cincinnati Bengals, I probably would have went with the Patriots, honestly, just because of their experience and that defense also is serious. But come playoff time, I think that they would have been, they would have been better. But the Cincinnati Bengals have been proven all odds um, or are, uh, What's it called? Going against all odds right now, man. And Joe Burrow's that guy. So in, in those situations, you really can't uh, bet against those those players. And Joe Burrow, we'll see if he can keep it going for this Super Bowl game. This is the only game that matters, man, in the season at this point for him. So if, if he loses this game, I'm sure he's going to be thinking about it as a failure. But 
we've all seen Joe Burrow um, arrive now, man. He's on the scene. And even if he doesn't win this game, I think that he's going to be dangerous going forward. Yeah, I think we're just starting to see the very beginning sprout that we're, you know, big burst of skill that we're going to see from Joe Burrow. Obviously, he made it to the Super Bowl. I mean, after, you know, that that injury that he, that he sustained really could have put him down for a long time. I mean, it could have ended his career, honestly, both in MCL and ACL. What was it, tear? Did they both tear? Yep. And I, I just can't believe that. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's been able to come back. He's still been able, even been able to show mobility on his feet, which is great as well. And he's in the Super Bowl. So all power to Joe Burrow. And I think, you know, whoever's not a Rams fan is definitely rooting for the Cincinnati Bengals this year. Yeah. So, I don't, oh, I didn't mean to cut you off too fast, but oh, um, yeah, no, I, don't, I don't have too much of a sweet spot for it, honestly, but I would love to see the Bengals go for it, man. And so here, let's, let's break it down here. Let's, let's think about some different positions. Uh, running back. First of all, we'll go, we'll start with running back. So on the Rams side, we have Cam Akers, possible Sonny Michelle. On the Bengals side, we've got Joe Mixon and Gio Bernard. So, I mean, who who wins that battle? Let, let's we'll just break down each kind of position like this and and kind of talk about who's who's better and what, and kind of you know figure out a good winner from there. So, what are you thinking on that? Who's the winner in that situation? I definitely would say the Cincinnati Bengals have a better backfield. I'm more of a believer in Joe Mixon at the end of the day. I think that the Rams have had problems, too, with their running backs throughout this year, especially in the later part. Cam Akers has been fumbling the ball kind of a decent amount. That's going to be very impactful if that happens throughout the game. Joe Mixon hasn't really shown those signs too much. A great receiving back, too. Um, Joe Mixon, man, he's that guy. I think he's had a great year, too, and he's playing at the highest level he's ever played at. So I'm going to go with Joe Mixon on that one. Yeah, you know, I'm going to stick with you on this one as well, Gabe. Uh, you know, I think a big thing that comes with judging the backfield is also remembering to take a look at the offensive line. And honestly, the offensive line has not been the best <laughs> uh, it could be in the playoffs. They, I mean, they gave up, what was it? I, th I think it was was it eight or nine sacks that one night that that to take on was it eight nine nine sacks nine sacks yeah, yeah like, and uh, I mean Joe Burrow get sacked nine times and they still won that game yeah he he, he somehow was able to scratch a win out of that <laughs> Titans defense really put up a, a good showing against them but yeah I think even even then Cam Akers like you said does have a problem with fumbling the ball sometimes so. I'm gonna go with Joe Mixon on that one. He's been a he's been a solid running back the entirety of the season for the Bengals, and hopefully he gets a touchdown in the in the Super Bowl. That'd be that'd be great for him. But now going to quarterbacks, so we've got Matthew Stafford versus Joe Burrow. I think this could be this. We'll 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 make this one short. So I'll ask for your short answer, Gabe. But this could be a whole section. This could be a whole thirty minute talk on on where we see these two guys going. But just in you know a couple of minutes, who who do you see? Who's got more on the line here? I mean, obviously, I'd say Matt Stafford, but, you know, how's, how's it lay out for the Super Bowl? It's going to be a hard game for both of these quarterbacks. I think it's going to be a harder game for Joe Burrow. I, if I had to pick one right now for this game, I probably would go with Joe Burrow. I've liked more what he showed me 
Matthew Stafford, he's he's a really good veteran quarterback, though. He's made a couple boneheaded decisions in this playoffs, but nothing too crazy. Nothing like Ryan Tannehill level, you know. So you can't really go wrong with either one of those guys. I'm going to go with Joe Burrow, though. Yeah, I think, you know, he's he's shown that resilience. I think Matt Stafford can definitely have his streaks. He's got – I mean, he's he, he's made receivers, single receivers, look so, so ridiculously good. I mean, Megatron, Calvin Johnson, most receiving yards in a, in a single season. And, I mean, can we – you know, Cooper Cup – did he beat him because of the extra game? You know, whatever, whatever that argument is. But still, I mean, Stafford, like like we talked about earlier, Rams are all in this year. I mean, as long as you look at the defense as well, as long as Von Miller and guys like Aaron Donald and all those guys are are tr- get being able to get to Joe Burrow, I, I definitely think it's going to be rougher for for Joe Burrow. But at the end of the day, if he if he gets sacked another eight times, they might win again. So. For that one, I, I still I think I'm gonna go with Matt Stafford. Just something about Matt's Matt Stafford and how much he's been through to just make it to a Super Bowl. I mean, the guy made it to three postseasons with the with the Detroit Lions, and they lost every single first round game. I mean, that's tough. I mean, he he's scraping them to the playoffs, and I mean, just give him one playoff win, and finally we see him get traded to a team like the Rams, who can accommodate his skill and definitely put it to work. So. Yeah, I think Matthew Stafford is definitely going to be my pick in the quarterback department. But going into our next side of the off part of the offense, we're going to be looking at wide receivers. Now, there's obviously Cooper Cup. You've got Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, there's there's quite a few options on that Rams side. But Joe J- Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, uh, Tyler Boyd. I mean. It, that's a really – I'd almost call that even, but going to you first, Gabe, who, who kind of wins in that department? That's super hard, honestly. I think – Yeah. Oh, man. It's, like, impossible to choose just because how do you go against Cooper Cup um, and Matthew Stafford's connection this year so far, you know? But, yeah. honestly, on that same level, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow have had that connection as well, and T. Higgins – especially come playoff time, man, you've seen the, the importance of him, a really big receiver out there. Yeah, just throw it up to him a lot of times and he'll come down with it. Same thing with Jamar, but that speed on Jamar is going to kill anybody. And then um, you got Tyler Boyd, a great little slot receiver too. And then Uzuma, I believe is how you pronounce his name, the tight end. He's also a good receiving uh, tight end for that team. But I think you got to go with the Rams, you know. They got veteran guys too, and Odell Beckham, who who are proven guys. Van Jefferson has been has played really well in his role too. And Cooper Cup, number one receiver in the league this year, so I think I'm going to stick with them. But it's really close, man. And going forward, I think if I had to choose which which group I'd rather have, I think I'd go with the Cincinnati Bengals. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, as a collective, I'd say the Cincinnati Bengals definitely have the Rams beat. I mean, those all three of those guys at some point this season have had breakout games. I mean, Jamar Chase, what was it? 266 yards he received for and and caught for three touchdowns in the same game. I mean, and that's the first year of connection. I think it was like in five passes, five catches, two or something like that, dude. It was like insane. I know, absolutely ridiculous. And if we're seeing that in the first year, if they're able to keep Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow together, I mean, this is going to be really, it's going to be deadly. It's going to be like a, almost like these guys are brothers. I mean, played in college together. 
coming up now into the league. I mean, oh, and I saw I saw a funny video on Twitter where it was a an O line guy that played for the LSU was also on the uh, Bengals now, and he was carrying around Joe Burrow like he was carrying him around when they won the championship in college. So you know, it's cool that they've got like that family that they that they now have in the NFL. And I, th- I mean, if like especially if Jamar Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow stick together, it's going to be gross, but. Overall, I, I'd say I'd say it still goes to the Rams very slightly. Cooper Cup is just always going to get ten receptions for 120 yards and one or two touchdowns. I mean, he's been doing it all season, so yeah, I think that that one's just kind of a tough one to be in, tough situation to choose from. But going into probably probably the last one we'll talk about here, uh, the defense. Now, I think you know this is kind of a very I think this is obvious as to where we're going to go with this one or who we think has the better defense, but just starting off with you, Gabe, do you, do you think there's going to be a way that the Bengals defense can kind of ride off their momentum to hopefully stand a chance against this Rams defense? That's just extremely stacked. Maybe, but this is going to be, they've, they've faced good defense. They faced good defenses so far though, in this playoffs, the Tennessee Titans brought the heat, like you said, nine sacks. So you're gonna have to do something else in the back end, um, I would believe. You need good corners to cover these these receivers that they got, and that's one thing that the Los Angeles Rams got too. Though Jalen Ramsey, he can get uh, burnt at times. We saw in Mike Evans, uh, Tom Brady's last pass um, touchdown pass, he got burnt on that one. Um, you got Williams on the other side, but I think those guys are solid cornerbacks. And they'll be able to slow down Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and really give them a problem. I think that that, that front four, though, or front seven even, probably the front four, is just as good as the Tennessee Titans front four. Obviously, you got Aaron Donald, man, three-time defensive player of the year. I think that that's going to be really dangerous for, for Joe Burrow. And that he could be in the MVP of this game, honestly, Aaron Donald. Because I could see him going in there and getting four sacks. Uh, they don't if they don't properly plan for him but then you got other guys too on the line Leonard Floyd other good <clears throat> rushers as well and then you also have uh, good corners in the back end they're going to make it harder for you to get that ball out quick too so it's going to be an interesting matchup honestly I think that the the cornerbacks are are going to be the key to this game for the for the Rams I think Aaron Donald's going to do what he's going to do that front seven is going to do what they're going to do but it's really going to be up to if Jalen Ramsey, if Darius Williams, and these boys are able to, to slow down uh, these receivers just enough so Aaron Donald can get there. Right, and obviously looking over at the Bengals defense, I mean, definitely riding off momentum. They've got they've got a lot of you know they've they've got guys like Sam Hubbard. He's a great defensive end for them, uh, and obviously um, Eli Apple is going to be the main corner for them. So he's probably going to get charged with the gruesome task of trying to guard Cooper cup in a Super Bowl game at home. But, you know, we'll see how, we'll see where they go from there. I mean, Jesse Bates as well. The third is another great safety that they have. Uh, so as long as, as long as their defense kind of rides off their momentum that, that they've already been having, I, I think they might be able to keep up but at the end of the day, the Rams defense is just always going to have that star power, that, that X factor that they're going to be able to pull out at any moment in the game. And, I think that's that's probably what it's going to come down to at the end of the day with the game in general as well. So, final pick for who you think is going to win this Super Bowl game? What's your what's your say? I gotta go Rams, and this will be my third time doubting Joe Burrow, man. So we'll see if he proves me wrong again. 
had him had him losing the past two games uh, against against the Titans and the Chiefs. We'll see if he can prove me wrong for a third time and beat the Rams. But I think the Los Angeles Rams at home uh, having a home Super Bowl. This happened last year uh, with Tom Brady, right, uh, in Tampa Bay. The, I think that was the first time ever that's, that happens. I could be wrong. Yeah, I think so. And now somehow it's going to happen in back-to-back years. I think I don't think anyone's talked about that either um, for some reason. I've, I haven't seen that in any mass medias. But I think that the Los Angeles Rams having a home field advantage is going to help out a little bit too. And I just don't see them really losing this game. I could be wrong though, man. Joe Burrow, he's <laughs> the guy that defeats all odds. Yeah. And you know, you're right, Gabe. I mean, I've, as much as I'd like to deny it, have also been doubting Joe Burrow these past two games. And as much as I don't want to doubt him for a third, because he's shown me up both times, I'm I'm definitely going to have to go with the Rams. It's all or nothing for them. I, I think, you know, maybe next year they'll have another shot if they're able to somehow keep that whole team together. Um, but this year's got to be it. I feel like at home, Super Bowl, uh, they they kind of got the rest to help them a little bit to get there against the 49ers, I think, with those delay of games not called. But whatever, we won't talk about that. Hmm. <laughs> but this is the Rams game to lose for sure. They, they went all in for this, man. Trade for Matthew Stafford. They were, they've been to the Super Bowl recently. They, they know what they, they got to do. Sean McVay knows what, what this means to this team. They can't afford this loss. Right. And just a real quick last question before we wrap up here, Gabe. Best kicker? Gotta be Best kicker. We got what Matt Gay versus uh McPherson. McPherson. Oh, you can't go against McPherson, man. Uh, no, Matt Gay, no Matt Gay missed that 40 yarder too, uh, against against uh, the 49ers this last this last game. So I'm definitely not yep. going with them. I'm going McPherson, baby. McPherson's perfect in the playoffs. Let's see if he can keep it going in the Super Bowl and hopefully see if they can nab that win. So that's gonna wrap up our double double show for tonight. Uh, Gabe, thanks for another great night of hosting, even though we weren't in the booth. I'd much rather it be that, but you know, we, we get by. So it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> so thank you guys for joining us, and we will see you guys next Wednesday for the double.